1501. Soon they would be nearing London. This night they would lodge in Kingston, and tomorrow they would lie at the Archbishop of Canterbury's palace at Lambeth, just south of the Great River Thames. They were following its course, riding across the gently undulating hills of Surrey. The winter landscape was bleak and overcast, with a hint of snow in the air. Catherine huddled in her litter, her furs muffling her up to her chin, longing for nothing more than to be warm. In the distance, she could hear the sound of a great body of horsemen approaching. They came closer and closer, and peering through a chink in the leather curtains, Catherine saw that all the riders, a veritable army, were dressed in a livery of red and black, and that at their head rode two finely dressed people, a young man and a boy, both sitting proud and erect in their saddles. As they drew near, the young man, a florid and rather portly gentleman, in a velvet cloak edged and lined with sable, signalled to the rest to halt. Masters, we seek the Princess of Wales, he cried. The King's Grace has sent us to escort her party to Lambeth. I am here, sir, Catherine said, drawing aside the curtains of her litter as the Count de Cabra came alongside to act as her interpreter. The man and the boy immediately dismounted, swept off their plumed hats, and knelt in the road. Edward Stafford, Duke of Buckingham, at your service, my lady, the florid man said with a flourish, and I have the honour of presenting Prince Henry, Duke of York, second son of the king. Catherine's eyes swivelled to the boy kneeling beside him. He was a well-grown lad, with plump, rosy cheeks. He had narrow eyes and rosebud lips like Arthur's. But that was where the likeness ended. Where Arthur was pale and thin, his brother was stocky and blooming with health. Even kneeling, he exuded vitality and self-assurance. There was no doubting that this was a prince. She asked them to rise. Noticing that Prince Henry's gown was a splendid scarlet, furred with ermine, and that he was grinning broadly at her, the bold imp. Welcome to England, your highness, he said. His voice had not yet broken, yet it carried authority. The prince, my brother, sends greetings, and bids me say that he is counting the days until the wedding with impatience. Prince Henry's bold gaze suggested that he would be counting them even more fervently were he in Arthur's place. How old was the boy? Surely he could not be five years younger than Arthur, as she was certain she had heard. He was acting as if he were sixteen, not ten. If your highness will make yourself comfortable in the litter... We will lead you into Kingston, the Duke of Buckingham said. The knights are drawing in, and you will be glad of shelter. If there is anything you need, you have only to call. Catherine thanked him, drew the curtains, and huddled back into her furs. She had found Prince Henry a little disturbing. He was a handsome boy with undeniable charm, 
and even in those brief moments he had dominated the courtesies. Arthur had been reserved and diffident, and she could not stop herself from wondering how different things would have been had she been betrothed to his brother. Would she have felt more excited? More in awe? She felt disloyal even thinking about it. How could she be entertaining such thoughts of a child of ten? Yet it was so easy to see the future man in the boy. And it was worrying to realise how effortlessly Arthur could be overshadowed by his younger brother. Pray God Prince Henry was not overambitious. Catherine stood as still as her inner excitement permitted, while Doña Elvira and the maids of honour made her ready for her state entry into the city of London. Already dressed in rich Spanish gowns, ornamented with goldsmith's work and embroidery, they helped her step into the wide-hooped farthingale, laced her kirtle as tight as she could bear it, then drew on the heavy velvet gown with bell-shaped sleeves and a full gathered skirt. Catherine surveyed herself critically in the mirror, catching Maria's eye as her friend hid a smile. It makes me look as broad as I am tall. I am too short to wear this attire. Why can I not wear an English gown? Doña Elvira was shocked. Because they are unseemly, Highness, she snapped. She had made no secret of her horror at seeing Englishwomen wearing low-cut, figure-revealing gowns without hoops. And your lady mother, the Queen, chose this gown for you. It was most costly. Doña Elvira was in a bad mood. The rolls of fat under her chin were quivering. She had already lost the battle over the litter. Catherine had been determined to ride on horseback through London, so that the people could see her. She had insisted, and got her way. But Doña Elvira was set on reasserting her authority. You must wear this, too, she commanded. This was a little hat with a flat crown and wide brim, like a cardinal's hat. The duenna placed it on Catherine's head, over the bejeweled Venetian coif, and tied the gold lace under her chin. No one, thankfully, had mentioned a veil. Fortunately, the November sky was bright, and it was not too cold. She was gradually getting used to the English climate, and thought she could bear to go out without a cloak. She wanted to look her best for the citizens. This was to be her day. The king, the queen, and Prince Arthur would play no formal part in it. Outside the great doors of Lambeth Palace, Catherine's Spanish retinue, prelates, dignitaries, nobles and knights, all richly dressed in her honour, had formed a procession. A gaily caparisoned palfrey was waiting, a sumptuous padded seat affixed to its saddle. With careful dignity, she stopped beside it, as an ugly, crook-backed little man with a sparse beard, a hooked nose and a cloak of yellow damask stepped forward. Doña Elvira, her manner stiff and disdainful, introduced him as Doctor de Puebla. The doctor bowed low with great courtesy, and Catherine gave him her hand to kiss. As her father's ambassador to King Henry's court, he had done much to bring her to this day, more perhaps than she would ever know. 
She wondered how far Puebla had been complicit in the dark deed that had led to her marriage.